against, but it is great to see whether you can hear me or not. Um, and a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream. Um, we're looking forward to being able to join together to praise God outside. And uh, for the live stream folk, if you stay on live stream, you won't be able to see us, but hopefully you'll be able to hear us. Um, during the week, um, we were looking, some of us in our home group, at um, Psalm 86, where David is really quite direct and quite almost blunt and rude with God, because he's in a, a desperate situation. But halfway through the psalm, he uh, comes out with these words, and I thought they would be good for us to think about as we join in worship tonight. He says to God, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And many of us here know loads about God. And it really struck us that David was asking God to teach him, not so that he could boast about how much he knew, but so that he could walk in God's truth. And he knew he needed his heart to be really focused on that because otherwise he'd be going off in all sorts of different directions. So let's pray as uh, we start our worship tonight. Oh Lord our God, we thank you that we creatures of yours, things that you made, can come and worship the King of Kings, the one who made everything, the one who knows everything, and you speak to us through your word. Oh Lord, we ask that you will help us to concentrate and hear what you're saying. And Lord, we pray that as we listen, we will want to do what pleases you, so that we know your smile, so that we are enjoying your presence. Oh Lord, we need your help to do that, so be with us through every part of this service, we pray. Amen. Well, we have the privilege of hearing God's voice and Steve is just about to uh, bring God's word to us as he reads from 2 Corinthians. Well, we're back in uh, 2 Corinthians tonight and the passage we're going to read is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 So whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others But what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves it is for God. If we are in our right mind it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reads God's word. Let's uh, pray together again. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, as we've just been hearing, we will all one day stand before your judgment seat. And Lord, I ask that we will live lives that are worth living. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll save us from lives that are pointless and meaningless. Lives where we waste what you have given us. Oh Lord, you you know how we so often get busy and worried and minds full of things that our selfish hearts want or our selfish hearts don't have. And Lord, we want to go our way rather than your way. Oh Lord, help us to remember that we will one day meet you and one day give an account of what we have done in our bodies. Oh Lord, we pray you'll make us ready and we pray that our minds will have that, that real focus on that day when we meet you. Oh Lord, we're so glad that you have made a way that people who've gone against you, people who've gone their own way like us, can be reconciled because Jesus paid the price. Because he came to rescue sinners. He came to give your power into our lives so that we may follow you and know your risen power and that we might be people who not just speak the praises and sing the praises but live the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into your glorious light. And we ask for hearts that are full of joy that we know the King Oh Lord, we are so aware that there's so much that we can't control. And this year has taught us so much about that. And Lord, we pray that as things are planned for the summer, particularly the YP holiday and camp, 
We pray, Lord, that you will arrange things that they will be able to go ahead. Their illness and other problems won't, won't stop them. But most of all, we pray that your word will go out powerfully. Oh Lord, we've heard of surprising ways that you've used camp and the YP holiday in years gone by. And we beg, Lord, that this year might be another year where you work and you work powerfully to change young people's lives. And Lord, we do pray for our young people, whether they're going to be on camp and the YP holiday or not. Lord, as we've got to the summertime and term is ended and the new term is a way away. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll be preparing them and ask, helping them to think about where their life is going, what you want from them, what their plans under you are. Oh Lord, we, we thank you that you have good plans for each of your children. And Lord, we pray that that will be something that we accept and that we rejoice in. Oh Lord, we are commanded to pray for those in authority over us and we do that gladly. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give our government real wisdom. We ask that you will help them to make decisions which are right, even if they're not popular decisions. Oh Lord, we ask that you will transform them so that they are driven more by rightness and justice than popularity and power. Oh Lord, we, we pray great things as we ask that you will turn them to you, that you will help them to realise the greatness of our God. Oh Lord, we do pray you'll have mercy on our country. We ask, Lord, that you'll turn us to you. And we pray for John now as he soon brings your word to us. Lord, we ask that his words will be true and that you'll take them and make them powerful and effective in our lives. Oh Lord, we don't want to walk out of here just having heard stuff, but we want to be moved in worship to you. And we ask, Lord, that our hearts will be focused on that so that we do what you want, so that we bring glory to you, so little people like us can do great things to please Almighty God. Oh, we are so glad that you are overflowing with mercy, that you reach out to your children. And Father, we pray that as we come to you, as we sing to worship you later, oh Lord, we will have that sense again and renewed and restored of belonging to you and of the joy and privilege we have of belonging to you. Amen. Well, we're now going to stand and worship as we think through and go along with the words of the song At the Cross of Jesus. And isn't it wonderful to think that he died for you, if you're his child, that, that, that this was for you. So let's uh, join and worship. <laughs> Thank you. 
tonight is a special night. Something very significant is happening tonight and that is that you're going to hear a message from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 which is a magnificent passage. There may be other events going on this evening on the minds of many, perhaps on your mind, but as you can imagine, um, this passage, this chapter, has taken up my mind in the build-up to this evening. Part of this passage was used in my own conversion. It also contains in it things that I want to shape my life as I go forwards. It's reminded me of my very first sermon. My very first sermon was at a place called Chatham on the 30th of June 1996, a little while ago. And I realised in preparation that it was on the evening of the Euro finals, which were at Wembley. Earlier that week it seemed as though England might be in the final As it happened, they weren't because they lost to Germany in the semis. But in my preparation and build-up towards my first sermon, I had the consciousness that I might be preaching at exactly the time as England were in Euro finals because it was a seven o'clock start. My main verse for that evening helped me put everything into perspective. The verse I was especially speaking on was... For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? It helped me to put things in a proper perspective then and I think our passage tonight can do that for us in a similar way here in 2 Corinthians 5. Who knows, as uh, we today look back to the World Cup final, 30th of July 1966, as an epic night full of significance, but it's not much seems as has happened on that front since. I think it would be wonderful if some looked back to the 11th of July 2021 and said that was when I first came right with God. That's when my Christian life took on a new force and direction. The title, as you can see, is Motivated Messengers which I think actually brings quite a lot together of what we'll be thinking about from this passage this evening. Uh, Paul has been open with the, the Christians at Corinth. He wants them to be fully behind the genuine gospel and not taken up with the razzling, dazzling alternatives which have been on offer. We get a feel for them in verse 12 of the chapter. It'll be handy if you have the chapter open this evening. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul was a man with a mission. A man with a mission or a person with a purpose. We see that in verse 9. Verses 9 and 10 could have been linked in with last time. There are bridge verses really. I'm picking them up this time. See what a sense of purpose he has. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Are you a person with a purpose? 
a person with a mission. He had an aim. Some people go through life pretty aimless. Sadly, some Christians seem to go through life pretty aimless. The New King James uh, translates it goal in verse 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our goal to be pleasing to him. A team unites together with the object of getting the ball in that goal. It's not just a a kick on the park. They're not just playing keepy-uppies. They've got a real aim and focus. Do you have a goal in your life? Do you have an aim in your life? Is your aim the same as the Apostle Paul when he says in verse 9, we make it our aim to please him. Pleasing Christ, looking to do what he wants, living for him. Is that your aim? He was a a man with a mission, a person with a purpose. But as well as a a man with a mission, he was a, a man with a message. A man with a message. And uh, I want to tell you a bit about that message as indeed he does in some of these verses in this letter. In verse 18, he talks about being involved in the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he talks about the message of reconciliation our biggest need is to be right with God to be at peace with God this is the big need of the world to be reconciled to God our relationship with God as we're born, as we're brought up is in a bad way It is a troubled relationship. It is a broken relationship. We have severed it by our sin and our rejection of God, our unrighteousness. And our big need is to be right with God, for there to be reconciliation, for there to be peace. And that is what God was doing in Jesus. This weekend... Many of us are concerned with something which affects our nation and to a little extent the rest of Europe. What happened on the cross had worldwide significance. See verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We see a bit more about it in verse 21. For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was called by Calvin the great exchange that brought about reconciliation. There is a swap 
Jesus becomes our substitute. There's a lot of talk about subs this week, when to make them, how many to make, should Grealish come on and take Mount's place? Something more wonderful occurs in the realm of substitution in our passage and in our message. Jesus takes our place. He becomes the substitute. The big phrase that people use is substitutionary atonement. He takes the place of others, not on the pitch, if you like, not on the pitch of glory, but on the cross, on the cross of shame. He takes our place and we put on not a tracksuit but we put on the perfect righteousness of Christ as our covering. Verse 21, I've read it once, I'll read it again, was the, one of the key verses. The Lord used different things in my life but it was one of the key verses. Let me read it again. For our sake, for, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amazing. Transformation. Swap. Jesus made to be sin, to be guilty, to take on the curse, to take punishment, to take condemnation, even though he was somebody who'd never sinned, in his words, his actions, his, his mind, there was no impurity of motives in his heart. The perfect one takes on sin for others and instead they know the righteousness of God. They have a new perfection and a new righteousness. His perfect life, his full obedience to God is given over to them. There is a great exchange. I think this is an amazing verse, don't you? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is this the message you need to hear? You're not right with God maybe. You've done all sorts of wrong things in your life, in your actions, in your words, in your thoughts, in your motives. You don't feel his warmth and acceptance and pleasure and welcome. You realise that you're not really safe heading forward to the end of your life. You need a substitute. You need somebody to take away your sin. You need somebody to give you their righteousness and Jesus is the only one who can do that. This is the message which Paul took and this is the message that I want to give on fresh to you this evening. So that's the message that Paul had. It's also the message that we as Christians, if we're Christians, have. We are ambassadors. An ambassador takes the, the message of a government, of a nation and passes it on. So if, if Putin plays his tricks 
and uh, there is a communique necessary. It might well be that the ambassador for the UK will go and deliver it to somebody appropriate in the Russian government. This is the word, the message from the UK. Well, as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, it says in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We too are people with a message. He was a man with a mission, a man with a message, a man with motivation, hence our title, Motivated Messengers. He he felt a degree of urgency. Verse 11, he wants to persuade. You see that? We persuade others. He is appealing on behalf of God. Verse 20, God making his appeal through us. He was imploring, carrying on in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He was motivated in bringing his message We sadly get all too used to it, don't we? We are messengers, but sadly we're often not motivated messengers. What motivated Paul? What motivated Paul? Well, in this passage, I'm sure we could go to other passages and gain more, there are three things which seem to motivate them. And hopefully as we grasp them, they will motivate us. Three engines, if you like, that were driving forward this passion to please Christ and to take the message out. One has a a future view, one has a past view, one has a, a present view. Let's look at those three. He was motivated by the judgment in the future. Motivated by the judgment in the future. I don't know if future judgment shapes your outlook. Does it? It stirs you. Makes you react and think differently. Sadly, we often live oblivious. We sit loose to the idea of future judgment. We need to be reminded. I often start funerals with a few Bible verses and amongst them I often include verse 10. I didn't this Friday, it was slightly different as a funeral, the burial was first, but I wondered afterwards if I I perhaps should have started with some of these verses and I like to include this one because amongst other things it helps us have the right mindset. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this had a motivating effect on Paul because it starts off for. What's one of the reasons you make it your aim to please him? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
He carries on in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. See, the awareness of this is affecting his communication and his purpose, his message. What's included in, in that future judgment? What aspects are in his mind? Should be in our mind. Well, I think it, I think it includes the, the general judgment of all. There's an awful future for those not reconciled. They have to bear their own sin. They're not protected with the righteousness of Christ. That awful future has a, a bearing on his outlook now and what he wants to get across. His awareness of the righteous judgment of God. The Hebrews writers seem to be very aware of the justice and judgment of God and it affects the warnings he gives to those he writes to. I remember hearing more than once on different uh, recordings of uh, Dick Lucas who was at St Helens uh, speaking to William Taylor who is now the rector of St Helens but in the early days of training when people would be filing in and out he would sometimes say to, uh, to the person he was mentoring to William they're all, per- they're all perishing William never forget it they're all perishing talking of those without Christ keep that in your mind I think also he's including here the account that believers give he says we, we must all including himself we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ now believer you won't be condemned now, don't lose sight of the fact that we've been looking at verse 21 and that Jesus has taken away your sin that you're reconciled that you're covered by his righteousness that's settled it won't be a a condemnation but we will have to report on our service if you like Uh, the Bible points to the fact that we have to give an account of our service you think of the parable of the talents we get a sense of it from 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13 each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he will be saved, but only as through fire. Well, you may not understand everything there, but it is talking about a giving an account as a believer. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that focuses the mind. When you have an appraisal coming up, it focuses your mind. When you have an exam coming up, it focuses your mind. When there is a a review time in terms of your contract, you put thought into it. That sense of accountability, especially if we care about what we're doing, especially if we care about those who are reviewing us, especially if we love them. So that future... Judgment is something which was an engine. It motivated him. Realise that uh, our friends and our family and neighbours will have to give an account. Realise that uh, you will have to give an account. You're included in that. We must all appear before the judgment seat 
of Christ. That motivated Paul, it should motivate us. But another motivation was Christ's love in the past. Christ's love was constant, but especially demonstrated here in the past. The the man here was shaped by the love that had been shown to him. He wants to please his Saviour. That's why we listen to that uh, hymn. Last verse. At the cross of Jesus, liberty you gave, so I come, dear Saviour, glad to be your slave. Let your love possess me, so that all may see what your death accomplished on the cross for me. You like the hymn? You know the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? How does that end? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Verses 14 and 15 are where this comes in and they're they're great verses. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls, or another translation is compels, it gives force. I don't know if it happened at ACE on Friday, though I heard talk of uh, rockets going up or being propelled up, I don't know if it happened and it worked, but there's the idea of something forces and it goes upwards, there's a power in it. And uh, the love of Christ was like that to Paul, the love of Christ is a force for me, it sends me off, I'm moved by it, motivated by it. I'm so loved that I want to live out a, a life for Christ, I'm so loved I want to tell others of him. He died. You see, it was shown in the past. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. C.T. Studd was an England cricketer. He left it all to join the mission field. Uh, the reason for that is found, uh, is found is seen in a postcard on his desk which reads, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Uh, Paul says not just that he died for him, true, he loved me and gave himself for me, but he died for all. I think perhaps you're trying to move the Corinthian believers. The Corinthian believers, Christ died for you too. Crobra believers, Christ died for you too. He died for all sorts of people. Anyone who is saved is saved through him, through the death of Christ. The love of Christ is at the centre of the message we take out. The love of Christ should make us outward looking, thinking of the all and others. Christ's love in the past motivates us, moves us 
to take out the message of reconciliation. The third engine, spiritual vision in the present. Spiritual vision in the present. Judgment in the future, Christ's love in the past, spiritual vision in the present. Sometimes we need help to see things properly. It was quite an advantage in one of the Gulf Wars, I think it was, uh, that the Allied forces had night vision goggles and they could see what was happening. The other side couldn't, but they got these special vision goggles which saw in the dark, they detected heat, I think it was, so they could see things that were happening that others were oblivious to. It's as if Paul now thinks that he sees things properly, whereas in the past he didn't see the whole picture, he got the wrong end of the stick, he didn't see things as he should, he didn't have a spiritual vision. This comes out in verses 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regard, regarded Christ. Perhaps he thinks back to the time he saw Christ, knew of Christ, according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's easy for us, isn't it, to look at people um, through normal standards, the, the general pattern and standards of the world. And we see their gender, and we see their hair colour, and we see if they're wearing glasses, a bit like a game of guess who, isn't it, trying to work out the different distinctions outwardly between people. Maybe we see a bit more, we see they're outgoing or not, or they're wealthy or not, or they have a high position or not. And the the Corinthian teachers, the, the bad influences, were very taken up with the outward side of things. Are they wealthy? Are they I- impressive? Have they got credentials? Have they got qualifications? But Paul saw things as things should be seen. He got the spiritual vision goggles on, if you like. And he realised that the main thing was whether people were in Christ or not. He's not so worried about the sort of fleshly outward things. He's worried about are they in Christ? Because if they're in Christ, something incredible, amazing has happened. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Whether they wear glasses or not, whatever their gender, whatever their money, whatever their qualifications, If in Christ they had new creation, God has been at work in them. The new creation is ahead of them. The Spirit has worked. Spiritual vision. I remember again many years ago, Mr Rao saying in one of his sermons about the fact that when he saw people walking down towards the evening service, a lot of that happened in those days, it's as if he saw souls walking down. He was aware of their spiritual situation. Are they saved or not? And when we see things as we should like this, and I look out on you this evening, it should motivate the big thing, in Christ, new creature or not. Wanting you to be in Christ. Wanting you to be a new creation. Wanting you to be reconciled. And it motivates us. My neighbours, different characters, 
I love them. The biggest thing about them is are they in Christ or not? My biggest prayer for them, I pray about different aspects of their life to some extent, probably not as much as I should, but this is the big thing for them to be saved. And the more we have a sense of spiritual vision, the more we're motivated. If we're praying for them, we look for opportunities to speak to them. Are you a motivated messenger? Well, I think if we grasp these three things more, future judgment, Christ's love, spiritual vision, we will be more motivated. Well, you know, I like my football. And I shall be pleased if I learn uh, later today or tomorrow that England have won. But being in this passage, I can tell you that I'd be even more pleased if one of you became right with God as a result of this passage this evening. I'd be even more pleased if there was a significant boost in you serving Jesus and wanting to tell others as a result of what you hear this evening. If 11th of July 2021 goes down in your history, if not others, as the date which God used 2 Corinthians 5 powerfully in your life. Something special has happened tonight. Something very significant. We've been in 2 Corinthians 5 and I hope you've felt the power of the message and the truth. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of reconciliation, the great exchange that has taken place, that we can be right with God through Jesus. Make that message a real pull, a real attraction to people this evening who have never appreciated before, never understood before, never trusted before. And move us, motivate us, We're sadly sluggish in our lives and sluggish in our concern for others and we pray that you would help us to grasp the future judgment ahead, the love of Christ in the past and a spiritual understanding of the present so that we might be more in line with your purposes taking forward your truth. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.